Good morning. Good morning to those who are listening, flying aeroplanes over India and uh, living in Queensland and all sorts of places. We have people who, believe it or not, listen to our talks all over the place. Keep your finger in Matthew 11 and we're going to need Revelation number 3 right at the end. So Matthew 11 and then Revelation number 3 right at the end. <clears throat> John the Baptist was absolutely clear about his purpose. What about you? Do you have a sense of purpose? What your purpose is? Kieran shared with us last week as he talked about what is baptism, because you might remember that John the Baptist was the baptizer in the Jordan River. And Kieran shared that John's message was simple. Repent and believe the good news for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the kingdom of heaven, that is the king, Dom, he explained, the king who has a dominion or a domain, was coming, prepare for greeting him. And that king is, of course, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. John the Baptist had purpose. Life becomes possible when you know what your purpose is. There's a young 25-year-old cricketer playing for Australia at the moment named Manus, and he is one obsessive Christian boy. And he has a purpose. Just one purpose, and that is to make runs for Australia. That's what he lives for. Countless runs. And he'll do anything that he can do to become better at doing that and fulfilling that simple purpose. But looking at John the Baptist's life, and all our lives really, we discover that purpose doesn't just bang. We're not born with a purpose, necessarily. Some of us are, but most of us aren't. Upbringing, influences, education, experiences, gifting, luck, fate, divine appointments lead to a clarification over time for us to become aware of our purpose. Purpose develops over time. I've come sort of a bit regretfully to the decision that my primary purpose is pastor. I'd much rather, I think, be a prophet. Or, or someone who is what the Bible describes as an apostle type. You know, give me that mountain and I don't care if you come with me or not. It's interesting because we often think poorly of our purpose. We see where our purpose has gotten us and we may not be overly impressed. Others might be impressed by what your purpose is and how you've fulfilled it. But you may not be that thrilled about it. For a long time, I probably wished I wasn't a pastor. But I probably became a much better pastor when I stopped thinking like that and just got with the program that God had a purpose for me and my job was to get on and fulfil that purpose. In fact, I'm wearing my purpose today. This is known in our house as the Kerry shirt. And Kerry was that guy in our last church. That's how old this shirt is. That goes back over 15 years. It's as good as the day I got it, probably. Um, 
And Kerry was a disabled guy. He was disabled by being um, delayed in his, in his childbirth. There was nothing wrong with him except his birth was delayed, so he was oxygen deprived. And um, for some reason, Pastor Mal um, was the person who found himself always looking out for Kerry. So when I got a Kerry shirt coming all the way over here, I thought, I'll keep that. It'll keep Kerry in my mind. Kerry sends me a Christmas card every year, and I send one back. And when I go to Geelong, I do my best to, carry, uh, to catch up with Kerry because I'm a pastor. And I notice things, and I notice people. And I can't help it. Sometimes I wish I could. John the Baptist's purpose, he wasn't a pastor, you might have noticed, um, developed over time. And it's interesting because you think of him, you think of him just as John the Baptist, but he grew up in a family. We know that his parents were quite old when he was born, so it would have been an interesting family for uh, an only child. We know that his dad was a priest in Herod's Grand Temple in the old city of Jerusalem today. So quite a strange upbringing, perhaps a little bit like Eli was to Samuel, might have been John's sort of upbringing. We know these were not poor, uneducated, disadvantaged people. These people were what you would probably call the highly educated professional poor, much like people who work in welfare and those sort of sectors today. He would have received a good education and we know that John's mother Elizabeth was probably Mary, Jesus' mother's first cousin, That means John, as the most famous person in Israel at the time, was related to the other most famous person in Israel a little bit later. Have you thought about that? Mary and Elizabeth were first cousins. Jesus and John were probably second cousins. And we need to remember that even in Jesus' family, they came from the line of David. Goodness me, you know, they were were Windsors back there somewhere. They were not nobodies. Jesus grew up in Nazareth, John in suburban Jerusalem because the hills of Judea, where it says that he he was born and where he came from, is basically the suburbs of Jerusalem. John was singled out as special. And he may have actually then gone down the hill to live with even more committed, more Kenite, Jewish, uh, devout communities. There's a lot about John's life that looks like the Qumran community. And you say, Qumran, what are they? They're the Dead Sea Scrolls people. So just down the hill from Jerusalem, we find, this is, I think, Cave 62 or something. It's the most visible cave. We're just standing on a, on a hill and there's a ravine and then the cave. And it's interesting because one of the things that the Qumran communities were were absolutely obsessed with in the driest place on the planet was ritual washing, literally baptism, which means to wash. This is one of 20 mikvot, ceremonial washing baths in the Qumran community where there was basically no water. Everything was about washing and ceremonial purity, but, but we know that John wasn't really about cleansing the outside of cups to do ritual things, John was much more interested in people cleansing the inside of the cups, you brood of vipers. 
in order that we might be seeking a deep inner transformation. You may not know that uh, the way John uses the Bible is similar to the way the Qumran community used the Bible. You won't know, I'm sure, that Qumran in one of its teaching scrolls even talks about eating locusts and wild honey in a ritually pure way. Who would have thought? So John may have been part of this community seeking an expectation. And the expectation was this, that judgment would come on Israel. That's what Qumran was looking for. That's actually what John was preaching, that judgment would come. Not on Rome, not on Herod, but on Israel in order that Israel would wake up to their role in the world and cleanse their hearts and go and do the purposeful work that God always had for them, which was to proclaim his truth to the whole world, to, to be a light to the nations that came from Genesis chapter 12. So John's purpose developed. We don't know if he was part of that community, but we do know that where he baptised at Bethany across the Jordan was about only about 10 kilometres from Qumran. They would have all known what was going on in this world. So John's purpose develops over time. Purpose develops. It matures within us. And we find John not acting in a cloistered community, in a monastery as such, but we find John reaching out as an independent prophet, actively engaging with outsiders and drawing huge crowds who would receive his cracking message of rebuke. Now that's not what pastors do. That's what prophets do. So John's purpose was prophetic. Prophetic. You know, John wasn't unlike Greta, our little Asperger's Swede. Simple, clear purpose, dead simple message, no desire to be fated or famous, because if you've got Asperger's, you don't even get that. It doesn't even dawn on you. But here's the thing for both John and for Greta that people whose purpose is fundamentally political and worldly can take Greta's simple message or John's simple message and they twist it to their own ends and for their own purposes. And they say life is very complicated and hard. When to Greta and John the Baptist, no, life is very simple but hard. So today in Matthew 11 we find John in prison as his purpose has developed and he set about delivering it. He's in prison because his purpose that has developed has come with conviction. And so as you think about your purpose, it will be something that you are convinced about. It matters to you. His message, John's message, has been carried by developed conviction and neither John nor Jesus later were interested in any way in the political agenda or the agenda of insurrection or overthrow or power in a worldly sense. John was interested 
not in external uncleanness, but internal uncleanness. The problem of the unclean heart, the inner moral stain. And people knew it, so they flocked to him and they were open to his cracking rebuke. Repentance is not towards external things. Repentance is a cry for an inner change in our lives. And John delivered it and declared it would come in one whose crack would not just be with water, but be with the fire of the Holy Spirit. So the cleansing would move inward and fill us with the same spirit that was in Christ Jesus. And that was John's purpose. So being a person whose purpose includes authentic conviction can be very tricky because those who have other purposes will manipulate our convictions for their own ends and their purposes. And we see this in John's life. That's why he's in prison. His convictions have gotten him into trouble. The uh, one great historian of this time who wrote extensively, Josephus, writes that John the Baptist was imprisoned because he posed a threat of insurrection. In other words, a, a, a political military uprising. That's what Josephus says. But that's not what Matthew says. Matthew says that the trigger was Antipas's opposition to John's outspokenness about his, Antipas's, taking Herodias, his brother's current wife, as his girlfriend. Immorality, basically intrafamily incest. That's what Matthew says. Can you see the two different purposes? At war with each other here. Antipas, of course, was um, the son, one of the four major sons, of Herod the Great. And when Herod the Great died, they divided Palestine up. And Antipas got Upper Galilee here. And funnily enough, he got this section down here known as Perea, which today is Jordan. And this is the place where... Moses crossed the Jordan River. So it's very mountainous along here, Mount Nebo. Now you'll see just here is Jerusalem. And I'm going to show you a picture now that is looking from Jerusalem across to here. It's a very old picture, this one, of Jerusalem. And you see there's the Temple Mount looking right across the Judean wilderness, and these are the hills. This is where John was born in the Judean hill country. That's what this is. And across there, you see a little circle. That's where the palace of Macrius, built by Herod the Great, and where John the Baptist is currently imprisoned for proclaiming outspoken opposition to this incestuous relationship being carried on by Antipas and Herodias. And we know the story, don't we? Antipas gets his friends over. They start having a big party. Herodias' daughter dances for them. She's beautiful. 
Antipas says, you're so beautiful and wonderful, ask anything, even half my kingdom, you idiot, and I'll give it to you. She has a little tater tate with mum who bears a cracking grudge against John the Baptist who happens to be down in the basement and Herodias says to her daughter, Bernice, go back and tell Antipas that, we, that you want Her- uh, John the Baptist's head on a plate and so lest he be shamed in front of his guests. That's against good conscience what Antipas does. This is the price of a formed purpose that has convictions, at least in John's case. But John is in prison. He gets to wondering. He says, my purpose has been clear to me. Repent and believe for the good news has come and this man's come, this Jesus, my second cousin. And my convictions have got me here, justly or otherwise, but The question that's going on in prison is, is he the one? Have I got the right one? And John's disciples return to him after talking with Jesus, who says the deaf hear, the blind see, the dead are raised, and the poor are having good news preached to them. He affirms John's purpose. Whatever it costs you, John, he says, yes, you've got the right one. Purpose with conviction needs consistent clarification and then re-clarification. Purpose develops over, t- over the time with conviction and then needs clarification and re-clarification. So today, do you have a purpose in Christ? It doesn't have to be a prophetic purpose or a pastor's purpose. It might be a leadership purpose. It might be a helps purpose. But do you have a purpose in Christ? Have you ever come to a place where you have stopped and turned around and decided to follow Jesus purposefully. Jesus turns to the crowd and he asks them some good questions. He said, hey you, hey, what did you come here today to see? What did you come out to the wilderness to see? Did you just come to see a reed flapping in the wind on the Jordan River? Is that what you came to see? What are you doing here? You're looking for an easy life? Is that what you're doing here? Something that'll just make it better and easier? Are you looking for a special message, a message defining your reason for being, your purpose? Is that why you came today? As we close, the Revelation reading that Clive read for us very carefully picks out the Laodicean church whose angel speaks a word, a harsh word, prophetic word to it. We choose this church because it's most like the culture that we seem to be dealing with, a culture of relative affluence. And we see a number of things that Jesus uses to clarify this church's purpose. Here they are. One, Jesus will always clarify purpose out of love. The church is asked about their love. What you love will tell you something about your purpose. And who you know most loves you and how much that matters to you 
will tell you something about your purpose. Who do you know loves you the most? Secondly, spiritual condition in that, uh, that searing passage. Uh, the angel says to the church, we know you're busy, you're prosperous, you're secure, you need nothing. But in God's economy, God's purposeful economy, the angel says, in fact, you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. It's so important if we want a godly purpose to be open to being dare I say, refined in our spiritual condition. Not just a how we're going out there condition, but a how we're going in here condition. Power of love, open to refinement in our spiritual condition. The third thing is, if you want to clarify your purpose under Jesus, are you open to rebuke? Now, most of us know within ourselves where we could do with a bit of rebuke. Yes, actually... If I was self-reflective, I could do with a good ticking off here or there. I wonder if it came to you in another person how you would respond to rebuke. In my experience, in terms of spiritual growth, I've grown most when someone has shown they love me enough to offer me a word of firm rebuke that I know is true. This is how we clarify purpose. And finally, we clarify purpose as we think, well, what do I really stand for? The church in Laodicea was condemned for being wishy-washy. Are you wishy-washy? John wasn't wishy-washy. I might be a pastor, but I'm not wishy-washy. And if you want to know, I'll tell you what I stand for. You stand for nothing, you'll fall for everything. What is God demanding you stand for as part of your purpose? So, purpose develops over time with conviction. It needs clarification and confirmation and reconfirmation. And then, if you want to clarify purpose, what's your first love? How's your spiritual condition? Are you open to what it might be? How would I receive a considered rebuke? And what am I standing for because of Christ? What is your purpose under his lordship? Lord, bless your people on this third Sunday of Advent as Jesus comes through the searing message of John the Baptist, whose purpose is clear, but he still seeks clarification. Father, open us to your purpose for our joy and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.